Prodigy Maker Show with Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally recognized high-performance coach, educator, and author of two best-selling books, The Tennis Technique Bible and The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. Tune in weekly as Chris answers questions live from around the world and discusses topics in junior development, technical and tactical training, Spanish tennis methods, and philosophies, and more. The Prodigy Maker Show is primarily focused on high-performance junior training and how to help children maximize their potential. The program features intelligent insight from Chris and debate from leaders in the high-performance industry. The show can be watched live on Chris's Facebook profile, and video versions of the show are archived at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. And now, here's Chris. What's up, amigos? It's the Prodigy Maker Show with Chris Lewitt, episode number 50, coming to you live from the Chris Lewitt Tennis Academy, which has a little bit of construction going on behind me, so don't mind that. If you're watching the show on video, I know a lot of you catch the show on podcast as well. So I'm excited to do the show today. I'm going to try to be efficient the Spanish way, just like you need to be efficient with your footwork and your technique. I'm going to try to be efficient with the show time-wise because we're here at the academy. I have some players here training and I have to get back on the court. So I'm taking my lunch break to speak with you guys and share and if you're tuning in live, you can ask questions. But today, I wanted to get into the Spanish way, you know, near and dear to my heart. I wrote the book, The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. And we have a second edition coming out next year, 2022. We're going to try to dovetail or connect the debut of the new book with the French Open 2022. So I'm, I have Spanish tennis on my mind. I'm looking, I'm going back to Spain this August. Usually I live in Spain for about a month of the year with my family, usually over the summertime. So I'm looking forward to going back to Spain and we couldn't go last year because of the pandemic. So I'm, I'm very excited to sort of get my mind back into uh, Spanish uh, training mode, like philosophy. I'm always in that mode, but always when you, when you visit Spain and if you're writing or rewriting or editing a book, it, you you sort of you sort of immerse yourself in the subject matter. So I'm looking forward to getting back into to the Spanish mindset on a day to day basis and and in depth in my writing. I've been writing a lot of articles for New York Tennis Magazine. Some of you may have caught that, and they have had a Spanish flavor. So the one that I'm working on now is about rhythm, and this show will also be about rhythm. I want to talk about what it means to have rhythm, el ritmo, the rhythm in Spain. What do Spanish coaches look for in terms of rhythm? What is good rhythm? What is bad rhythm? And how do you develop rhythm? And I think this is a very important term or uh, terminology in Spain, the rhythm. I titled my article, Necesito el ritmo, which... It's just a clever rhyming title. Sometimes you might hear that on the tennis court. The coach says, I need to get the rhythm. I need the rhythm. And what does Spanish coach mean by that? What is it? Or a player might say that. Necesito el ritmo. I need rhythm. Uh, what is that? When I have players who come to work with me, and I see many young kids who are relatively disorganized, you know, their games are very chaotic. 
And in my mind, I think this player doesn't have any rhythm. This player needs to develop rhythm. And how do you do that? Where does the rhythm come from? So for me, and putting on my Spanish cap, my Spanish hat, and talking about junior development, rhythm is going to come from control. And in Spain, they have uh, some sayings related to control. You know, Tony Nadal talks about it a lot. Luis Bruguera talks about it a lot. All of the Spanish legendary coaches talk about how you need to control the ball, obviously. You need to control your body, your body movements. You need to control your feet. You need to control how you work your legs. And uh, particularly Tony, uh, Tony Nadal talks about how you need to control your mind. And if you don't control your mind and your emotions, how can you play well? How can you control the ball? So there's this concept of control and rhythm, I think, are inextricably linked together. So when you have a, a player in front of you, or if you're watching this and you're a player yourself, you're working on your game and you want to gain some knowledge and, and improve your game using the Spanish style, uh, using Spanish philosophy, you have to ask yourself, you have to, or you have to analyze your, the, the student that you're working with and say, does this player have a good control? And so usually that goes back, uh, you can start with the, the feet and the legs. So I had some players working with me the last couple of weeks here at the Vermont Academy. And we're, I was explaining to them that good rhythm comes from, you start with the base of control with the legs and the feet. The feet have to move well. The eyes have to read well, the, the ball coming in. And then the feet have to put your body in a good position so that you can arrive well to receive the ball. You have to receive the ball well, and then you can ultimately send the ball well. And there's this beautiful rhythm, like uh, a musical tempo, maybe like a dance. When the ball is received well and sent well, and it goes back and forth, there's this beautiful rhythm that takes place on the tennis court. And I don't want to get too poetic, but I am a writer after all, and I find I find it very. Uh, I find a, a deep beauty to to the rhythm of the game of tennis, and I think in Spain they have a deep appreciation of the beauty, of the of the rhythm of the game, especially the clay court rhythm of the game, and the rhythm on clay, especially red clay, in Spain or in South America or in in, in Europe, is is a, a slightly different rhythm than what you would see on a different surface, a hard chord. Every chord has its own rhythm, right? Every chord has its own music, its own tempo. And in Spain, the rhythm is a bit slower. The cadence is slower. The tempo is, uh, is slower. And, and the, the ball flows back and forth. Uh, usually the players are not taking the ball super early. The ball bounces, it rises up. It hits at the apex, uh, and then it's it's struck, or it might slightly fall and be struck, and then it's sent to the other side, and that player uh, moves well. Hopefully, they move their feet well, they position well, they're in, they have beautiful uh, posture, uh, good balance, and they send it back, and so you get this flow back and forth uh, of the ball being hit, and sometimes you can you can obviously see that flow, you can see that rhythm. 
and you can also hear it. Sometimes if you go to a high-level tournament like a pro tournament or a top junior tournament or an ITF, you can hear the rhythm of the ball being struck and there's a beauty to that and, but I, and I appreciate that but it tells you right away that the players have a good control of the ball. If you walk into a tennis center or a club and you hear a chaotic rhythm, then you know that the players there are either they're lacking some control whether they they're not uh, they may be impatient and ripping the ball left and right and and causing a lot of errors or they may not have a good technique or good control of the ball control of their body and that's relate that's affecting the control of the ball but you'll hear it in the rhythm and you'll you'll see it you can observe it so uh for all you coaches out there start uh, and players, think about starting with the, the feet, the eyes and the feet, which is the Spanish way. The eyes have to read well. You have to see the ball well, and then immediately the brain sends the signal to the feet to get into position to receive the ball well. See the ball well, and then receive the ball well. And then you have to send it. And I want to talk a little bit about the sending form in a minute uh, and sending rhythm. Because there, there's definitely a rhythm to the stroke in Spain too. So that would be the hands, how the players use their hands. So you have the feet and the legs. There's, there's, a, there's a rhythm there. The, the, the player has to move into position well. So many players are, are, are very chaotic when they move. I spend countless hours on the court with prodigies, with, with some adults, some serious adults who are tournament players, with high school kids, you know, kids, uh, college players, all different ages and levels. And to a greater or lesser extent, when they come to me, they, they want to work on their, their movement. They want to move better. They want to move with balance and they want to flow to the ball better and flow back and recover back into the court better. I have a top kid from Canada coming down for the next, uh, he's going to come down, uh, come up here, or he's coming down from, from Montreal. Uh, he's going to be coming down soon. And one of the first things I talked about with his, his mom was how he needs to develop better movement, better footwork. And that will undoubtedly affect the rhythm of how he hits. Sometimes in Spain, they, they don't, go for winners too early like there's a, there's an emphasis on patience so that can kind of create this nice rhythm where the point uh the rallies sort of flow longer and that and and you can appreciate the rhythm i think better when a player is really hyper aggressive or impatient then there's not much rhythm to the rally it's like bam 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 uh it's it's a blast blast in the net blast blast out blah, 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 chaos. And in Spain, for Spanish coaches, that is anathema to play like that. You know, th there has to be a, a consistent rhythm. So it's got to be bop, 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 like a metronome, bop, bop. A and the, the, the flow of the ball is, is like that. And it's a little bit slower because of the red clay courts. And, and when, you, when you hear that and see that and when you get that, I, I think you, you're getting an improvement in the, you're, you're showing, you're demonstrating, the players are demonstrating an improvement in their technique, in their body control, in their mind, their focus, you know, their ability to concentrate, 
the, the ability to control the emotions. All of those things come together into this uh, rhythm or what you call ritmo, el ritmo. Many times players just don't have a lot of rhythm. And when a player doesn't have rhythm, we as coaches or you as the player, you need to figure out, we need to figure out how, how, what are we missing and how do we get it? Usually with young players, I start with the feet. The feet and the movement and the positioning and the balance. The postural control, the body control. Does a player move with the good postures, the, the head level, the back relatively upright? You know, are they, are they controlling their weight shifts well? Uh, do they have a good stable base or support system as the, the term that's often used in Spain? Good support system uh, before they hit. Are they taking adjusting steps? You know, sometimes you need more, sometimes you need less. Are they setting up with a good stance, the appropriate stance, an open stance or a closed stance, depending on the situation? Are they utilizing the correct technique of the feet for each shot? That's kind of where I start, especially with young players. You know, I'm known for working with a lot of young, talented kids. When those kids come to me, I'm always shaping this. I mean, I, I make a good living shaping the movement and the footwork, of, of especially of young young serious kids right and so this 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 rhythm has to be developed from the youngest age and it starts with controlling the feet and the posture and then you move up a little to the the swing the hands and i just want to touch on that briefly i know i have a question up on the board by paul jessup paul it's great to have you back on the show and i always love to take your questions guys but let me talk just briefly about the hands. The hands in Spain is mean, means the technique, the swing. You know, so you have the eyes, the legs and the feet. Sometimes it's called the eyes and mind, the legs and the feet and the hands. And this is sort of a it's a it's a, a way that Spanish uh, coaches break down the t development of a player. Eyes and mind, hands feet and legs. This is a common breakdown, a tri, triumvirate, you know, a, a triad, a three-part three breakdown, like a triangle. And you want to develop all of those aspects, those three aspects. So in terms of the hands and the swing of a young player, you see a lot of chaos. In my article, I'm, I, I'm mentioning a metaphor with the heartbeat. You know, a healthy heart, typically, and I know a little bit about cardiology as an EMT and um, studying med you know, medicine as a first responder. I work on an ambulance just as a volunteer. You know, the heart has, usually has a healthy rhythm. And that, that when you listen for the heartbeat of someone, it, it, it tells you about, they, they call it the vital signs. You know, when you, when you check someone's vital signs, you check their heartbeat, it indicates the, uh, in some ways the health of that person. If the heart is beating in a steady way with a good rhythm, that's a very good sign as an indicator for someone's health. And I make the same analogy with tennis. When you hear someone hitting or observe them hitting, you check their vital signs. You check, you check the rhythm of their game. And if the rhythm is erratic or chaotic or, or too fast, or too slow, 
you you have to work on adjusting it. And I, I see it very sim- similar to cardiology in that respect. Uh, and Spanish coaches are always, they have this sense, they're always sensing the rhythm of the game. And if the rhythm is not right, they they make adjustments to the, the areas that I'm kind of mentioning. So uh, I will mention the, uh, the, the, in terms of the swing, you know, the swing in, in Spain, what do you do with the hands? They don't focus too much on the hands. But the hands have to move fast. And they usually start slow, like a slow build up, especially on clay. Like the rhythm of the swing is a little bit slower in the build up in the preparation phase, as opposed to on a fast court. You can spot a player who's only played on fast court because they, they take the racket back really quick because they're used to the ball coming so fast. If you play or develop a player, if you train on slower courts, usually your preparation is a bit more gradual the, the the take back and the build up is a bit slower and then it, it builds to kind of a a crescendo and then there's this burst of acceleration that happens through the hitting zone and then the finish it can be different finishes but in spain there's a big emphasis on the pausa or the pause and so that's kind of the rhythm of the hands and the arms the upper body there's that build up there's uh, uh, you're 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 starting to to uh, accelerate and then whoosh, huge uh, huge uh, burst of energy to the ball and that is part of the Spanish system and the Spanish method and philosophy. That's great acceleration that happens through the ball. And if you if you watch that the way players uh, do that, especially uh, players who don't haven't learned that. The swing and the swing path and the technique and what they're doing with their hand or hands, if it's the back end, two-handed back end, is really uh, chaotic and erratic. And so I, I also work a lot on the hands with my students. We try to get the back swings more flowing. We try to get strokes that look more, uh, I, I say smooth, but but uh, smooth is a good word. Not, not too jagged, not too abrupt or bruscos as... Tony Nadal likes to say, Tony's, Uncle Tony says, you know, you don't want strokes that are bruscos, which are, which means roughly translated into being very rough, like rough movements. They should be relatively smooth uh, accelerations, not, not abrupt, choppy swings. So, so Tony Nadal talks about that a lot. And that definitely affects the rhythm of the player's technique of their swing. And then the pause, the pausa is very important. This is a concept in Spain. I know it's in other countries as well, but it's it's a big priority for Tony Nadal, for example, a big priority for Luis Bruguera. Uh, the idea of, of not rushing your finish, accelerating, big acceleration. That's a huge part of the Spanish system, getting developing racket speed, right? A loose arm, elastic swing. And, and then this pause or pausa at the end. And if you want the best example of that, just watch Rafa when he's training or warming up. And you'll see that he does his pausa. He does his stop by tapping his upper arm. And a lot of players do that. But Rafa in particular, I know for a fact, because I've studied Tony's system very well, is Tony, uh, they've worked on that. Specifically, finding the rhythm of the swing by tapping the upper arm. So you'll see Rafa, he follows through to his right arm. And he'll see, you'll see him swing fast and tap. Sometimes when he gets in the match, he'll do, you know, a big uh, lasso type swing or 
he'll go reverse around the head. But his normal swing path, when he's fine, when he's trying to find rhythm, he will tap the upper arm. Uh, Dominic Team is another player just comes to mind who does a catch, a very high catch to find his rhythm, which I think is a little outdated and and uh, strange and awkward uh, because when he starts to play, he never does that anymore. Uh, he always finishes like more more modern, you know. But anyway, uh, a little off on a tangent there. But you see players work on their pause, their finish to try to find rhythm in the stroke. And that's very common also in the Spanish system. So when I have little kids who come to me and they swing like little maniacs, they take really fast swing, they start everything fast, then they follow through and then they rush to the next shot. Or they rush to, to uh, get back to the ready position and they're, they're, they're like uh, little tornadoes out there, little hurricanes on the tennis court. I see my role as a, as a junior developer and I, I want to be known as one of the best junior developers in the world. Um, we're trying to do that here at the academy to become the best uh, academy for 12, especially for 12 and under kids in the world, you know, for technical training and biomechanics and, and of course, learning the Spanish way. We're trying to do that here at, at, at the academy now full time. And that's what basically what you have. You have little tornadoes who come in, little hurricanes who come in, and you need to temper them. You need to polish them. You need to calm them down. You need to build rhythm. And the way that you build rhythm in their game is, is emphasizing and addressing all of these areas of control. Uh, control of the feet and the legs, control of the hands and the swing. Con and ultimately, and I'll get there in a moment, I'll answer Paul's question, but I'll, uh, ultimately you have to also uh, polish and calm them and shape them mentally and emotionally because that is also part of the package. That's also part of development. And when you, when you do all of that, you get this beautiful rhythm. You get this exquisite flow on the court uh, which comes from learning how to control the ball well, right? So let's see what Paul had to say here. Thanks for, for tuning in, Paul, and for asking a question. Paul says, if you're a big server, do you think it's best to give your biggest serves on clay or because you're not getting many free points, are you best to conserve energy and go for more placement and hence get more serves in? I think it probably a uh, good question, a little bit uh, different topic about uh, strategy and serving strategy. This is a really good question, though, because I don't think there's one answer. It very much depends on the, the game style of the player. If you're a player who relies on the big serve and needs to dominate with the serve and get free points, you absolutely have to go big on the clay. No matter, Even if the court is slow, you cannot... You cannot, um, you're not going to be successful if you're just spinning the serve and you're probably going to get uh, beaten like a drum. You know, you're going to get hurt real bad if you're a big guy who relies on, on free points and you start spinning the serve in on slow clay. It's going to be a very long day at the office for you. And I know that from personal experience. I would say... That's definitely the wrong strategy if you need those free points. Even if the court is slower, you got to go big if you have the weapon. Now, if you're a, a different style of player, maybe you're more of a retriever, very consistent player. You could probably make a case for, for getting a higher percentage of serves in and just starting to grind. 
that being said, you have those two perspectives. On the pro tour now, I think that type of strategy is, is rarer and rarer. The guys are hitting big. They're going for big serves. They're getting, getting on the attack quickly. It's a very aggressive game, especially with the men. And I don't think you can be as successful nowadays just without a, a big bomb of a serve, a serve that's dominating. If that, if that, uh, I hope that makes my perspective clear. I think it depends on the game style in general, but at the, as you get to a higher and higher level, there's just so little difference at, at the high levels that you need to have that, that big weapon with the serve. You need it to survive. Uh, Brian Peterson says, thank you for joining the program, amigo. He says, do you think team is working on the swing path when he finishes over the shoulder in practice? I think it, it doesn't. Yeah, of course he is. And, and Wolfgang, I think, taught him that when he was younger. He, he's, he's probably thinking about finishing up. But finishing up is different than following through up. And my mentor in Spain, Luis Bruguera, talked about that a lot. He says, you know, finish up is the part of the swing where you make the impact with the ball and then the next 12 to 18 inches of the, of the I'll call it a follow through for lack of a better term, you're going to keep extending and you're going to lift up. But that's different than forcing the follow through up artificially the way he does, the way team does. And I think it's, it's just inconsequential. I, I don't think the way that he's doing that, I, I don't think it, if he likes doing that, it's okay. But I just think it's, it's a forced, it's artificial, artificially forced upon him by his coaching. As my understanding is that his, his Wolfgang forced that, you know, made, mandated that for him. Uh, if he personally just, you know, if he came to me as a kid and he just loved following through like that, uh, I'd probably let it go. You know, kind of like Medvedev does. I think the way Medvedev finishes is very outdated and and uh, not very modern or, you know, biomechanically uh, doesn't really maximize the swing biomechanically because in the modern swing, you want to get that rotation of the forearm, the windshield wiper effect, the, the pronation and rotation from the shoulder and the forearm. And I... I, I you know that he doesn't really do that as much when he's practicing. It's really it's it's a kind of interesting technical thing that he does. Uh, and then what's interesting, what's even more interesting, is when he starts to swing uh, with maximum force. He doesn't do that. He he rotates the forearm and the shoulder uh, as I'm describing. He when he wipers a lot more. So it makes me question why why does he do that at all? You know what's the point? That's why I think it's inconsequential. Uh, but if he likes it, it makes him feel comfortable. Okay, you know, I just, you know. Yeah, Wolfgang gave him some odd drills, Brian Peterson said. Yeah, I think, I don't know their history that much. I'm curious about it because it is a curiosity, a technical curiosity. But, you know, my understanding is Wolfgang had, Wolfgang had maybe a few eccentric drills and had him do some odd things like that. Exactly. And to me, it just looks awkward. And I, I don't understand. If, to me, it makes the swing look very stiff. It creates tension in the swing. And if I was a coach and I saw Dominic when he plays, when he really plays, the way he finishes when he really plays, I would just encourage him to do it like that, you know, to do more of that. Uh, not, I don't know why I have to emphasize something that's artificial or contrived. It looks contrived to me and it looks inconsequential. That's my take on it.
Medvedev too. I don't like Medvedev's finish in general. His forehand is very awkward, old school looking, like with the wrap around the neck. Sometimes Joker does that too. Sometimes Joker will finish unusually high around the neck. Not all the time. He is very interesting because he has almost a Western grip and he'll finish up around the neck. Uh, strange, strange. But, you know, he usually wipers more. It's interesting. Very interesting technical questions there. So you have, uh, you guys understanding what I mean by the rhythm? I think it's a critical term to understand in the Spanish model of training. And it's critical for junior development. I really believe in this. It's part of my philosophy now. After studying so many years in Spain, I was trying to sum up how I look at a young kid. And it's that, little tornadoes, little hurricanes. These kids, You ever see a five or a six or a seven-year-old trying to swing a racket? It's a mess. It's a mess. It's chaos. It's beautiful. If you see a, a five, six, or seven-year-old, anyone, under 10, whatever age, and you see controlled rhythm, beautiful uh, balance, nice adjusting to the ball with the feet, uh, a swing that's not jagged, a swing that's not bruscos. You know, when you, when you see that in a young kid, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And usually those kids get a lot of attention. You know, I have like a little eight-year-old right now who's, um, has very beautiful technique. And he, you know, people come to watch. It's, it's, it's special to see a young player who has this refinement in the game. And, and, and that refinement can be very elusive. And my point is that this is something they value a lot in Spain, uh, the refinement of the, of the movement, refinement of the body control, refinement of the technical control in the swing, and ultimately the control of the ball, which manifests as this, this, this rhythm, like a metronome, bop, bop, bop. Bop. And you can, and it has a, a great sound. It's it's a musical. It's like a symphony. You know, it's a, it's beautiful. And and if you all you have to do is listen. If I step into a high performance center where there are good players, or if you go to a pro tournament or ITF tournament, you hear it. You hear what I'm talking about. They've all learned that, whether they're Spanish or not, that level of player. And if you go to a, a crappy lower level tournament with a lot of scrubs, you don't hear that music, man. You hear some. Uh, cacophonous sound it's a cacophony you know it's it's a music that hurts your ears it's it's a really bad heavy metal music that it's uh unless you love heavy metal but you know it's it's uh it's it's it hurts your ears you say bam bam out bam bam net bam bam shank mess chaos rhythm is key rhythm and flow uh what else can I say about it? I think in Spain, um, just sort of uh, on, a, on another note, in Spain, they have a special rhythm the way they train. Like I mentioned before, the rallies, they typically emphasize longer rallies. Uh, rallies that, you know, you don't always go for a winner right away. There's sort of uh, an inherent focus on an appreciation of patience, to be a patient uh, ball striker. So you get like a better flow typically in the Spanish, uh, in the Spanish type training, and the way that they do drills is very is a very different rhythm, uh, which I find fascinating. In Spain, typically uh, now some academies are changing a little, but the typical Spanish training is two players per court. Now that creates its own rhythm, and if you ever ever train at a Spanish academy, it's very different than training at a typical American academy or. Or, or even across the border in France with, 
typically has four players per court. You know, when you have two players per court, it creates a special, unique rhythm to the, to the day of training. Usually one player drills, one player rests. One player drills, one player rests. And there's this flow, this ebb and flow, ebb and flow, back, waxing, waning, waxing, waning, you know. And the whole day sort of progresses like that. And it, it can become, I think, quite addicting, the, that type of, uh, if, you, if you start to get into that flow of practice, that flow of training, it becomes like a, a drug. It, it becomes an addiction that you love, a positive type of drug, a positive addiction. And if you go to a different model of training, it feels very strange, very awkward to train in a different uh, style of uh, uh, different flow. You know, the, the, the amount of balls you choose to feed a player affects the rhythm of practice. So in Spain, many of the drills are long, you know, plus 20 balls, 15, 20 or more balls consecutively. I've written a lot about this in my book. Uh, that affects the rhythm of the practice. You know, whether you, you emphasize uh, stamina and controlling many balls, 20 balls, for example, or if you only take a handful of balls and you shoot them fast. You guys, if you're coaches, you may be familiar with tempo feeding, which is something that you, you learn in USPTA coaches, courses. You know, you learn how to feed uh, with tempo, and that basically means like pop, 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 pop. You can feed double time or triple time. You coaches will know what I'm talking about. And you, I don't think you can get your certification if you can't demonstrate. You know, I, I've done all these uh, certifications years ago, but I think if I recall, you, you can't get a, your certification without being able to demonstrate certain types of tempo rhythm. Well, they never do that in Spain. Never. I, I, mean, I, may, I don't think I've ever seen anyone feeding uh, tempo, double tempo, because they always take their time. The drills flow with a, a, a more, they're definitely slower paced and they're typically longer. And so it just creates a special uh, Spanish rhythm. And I just wanted to connect that to the idea of building rhythm on the court with the player as well. There's something special and unique to the Spanish style of practice. It's a slower, uh, it's a slower flow to, to, the, to the day of training. Uh, so these are my thoughts about rhythm, guys. Uh, I think Brian had one more question. The Americans forens, are the American forens less flowing, Brian says, like sock and rotic? Possibly. I think, I think we have a lot of good forens in the U.S., many great forens, you know, from... Sampras to Agassi, we've had many, many great forehands. I don't think we have a problem building the forehand in the U.S. Uh, typically, we've had problems with our movement, with players not moving well, uh, players struggling to get enough RPM and velocity on the ball, uh, spin rate also, uh, specifically on the ball uh, for success on clay. That's typically been an issue in the U.S. Sometimes we can be a little stiff or uh, abrupt in the U.S., but... Uh, historically, we've, we've, our players have struggled a little bit more with the backhand, you know, moving wide and laterally with the backhand. A number of players have maybe not had enough world-class backhand. You mentioned Roddick as one, and Sock is another one. Um, much better forehands than backhands, but 
there's just you know I don't know what those historic trends mean. If they, it's hard to generalize across the entire country, especially the U.S. because the U.S. is so big and broad, and many different flavors of training in different different areas of the U.S. You know, California training is a lot different than Florida training. And, uh, so, anyway, I, I think I think um, there are many great foreigns around the world, but most countries now have taken. Uh, have adopted some of the Spanish ideas of elasticity and acceleration and whip and generating more racket speed and RPM as a as a priority in development. And I don't I don't think that's always been the case across uh, other in, across the world, you know, internationally. And I think that's something that Spain has been doing for thirty or more years, starting. Uh, starting in the Bruguera system, the Bruguera system is the one that emphasizes racket speed the most. And I think that has just, with the Spanish diaspora, with Spanish coaches leaving Spain to travel all across the world, especially Asia. Now, you see uh, many countries adopting that same emphasis and pri the prioritization of racket speed, developing racket speed and developing good control in, in when when accelerating. So I think that has been a big influence that Spain has had on the world, the world tennis development community. Uh, so rhythm, guys, I'm going to get back to practice here. Chew on this idea of rhythm. What do, you, what do you think? You can leave me a comment. You can send me any questions you have. I have lots of coaches and parents and players who send me direct uh, questions to my email. You can always email me. You can always message me on socials. I have a lot of families and players following me on Instagram and Facebook. You're welcome to join me there and anywhere you like. We're on all, all socials. And if you have, think, think about rhythm. Think about your own game. Do you have a, do you have a good rhythm? Do you have a good control? Um, think about players you work with. Have you ever seen a little, seen a lot of tornadoes on your court? A lot of hurricanes? Are you seeing players who are lacking? Uh, control and ultimately rhythm. If you see a practice or a kid hitting and it's very arrhythmic, do you stop it? Do you bring the players in to talk about it? I do that all the time. When I have players in my academy or with me on the court in the lesson and I feel the la lack of rhythm, I stop right away. I say, guys, what's going on here? There, this is a very arrhythmic practice. This is There's, there's a lot of uh, inconsistency right now it could go back to the focus. Maybe the players are simply not focused. Maybe you have two players working and they're not engaged. They're not engaged well. That could definitely affect the rhythm of the practice. It could be something technical. For, for Typically with younger kids who are more in the uh, initiation or develop, development uh, phase, they may, need, they, may, they may need help with their footwork, with their technique. They may have real struggles. They may, they may, may not be able to control the ball well. Just they're not capable of doing it yet. When you have higher level kids, you have national rank kids, ITF level kids, international players, you know, it's usually something up in the cabeza, you know, in, in the head. You know, it's uh, they're not focused. Are they getting pissed off or too emotional or whatever? Usually that's where, like Tony says, you know, if you can't control your mind, you can't control the ball well. You're not going to have a good rhythm. So typically, the more advanced the player is, the more it comes back to the mind. Uh, usually, advanced players have pretty good technique. They have pretty good footwork, you know, overall. So think about all those aspects that affect the rhythm of the game. And then try to figure out 
if you're a player, if you're a coach, try to figure out what you need to change to to try to, de to develop more control, which will ultimately give you that beautiful rhythm. And then your, your game can be like a symphony. You can be like Mozart on the court. You can be that, that uh, genius on the court. You know, you look at the great players in the history of the game. They have a beautiful rhythm. Think of Roger, you know. Think of, uh, all, 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 think of your favorite player who you admire. And usually you'll, you'll see a nice flow and a nice rhythm with them on the court. Okay, rhythm and flow, guys. Think about it. Got to get back on the practice court. Episode 50. I'm excited. Hey, 50 episodes, not bad. Uh, this is a couple years running uh, show. I'm glad you guys tuned in. We had some good questions today. And I know we always get a lot of follow-ups. I get follow-up questions when uh, we have a big audience on the podcast. We're on every podcast platform. So you can find me at your favorite podcasting network. And uh, please give the show a thumbs up. Share with your friends if you like the content of the show. I appreciate it. Tell your friends. You know, this is not my main job. My main job is I'm actually a coach. So if you're a player or if you have a player, especially a junior player, uh, I do take serious adults. You want to come train the Spanish way, learn world-class biomechanics, come to the Chris Lewis Tennis Academy. We are now full-time in Manchester, Vermont, which is a beautiful little town in the mountains of Vermont, a tourist destination, also a ski destination. But now it's a tennis destination, so you can always come and visit me here year-round. We have a great summer camp. We have an amazing year-round program, and you can train with me 25 hours per week on the court in the small group. It's very, very special, and I would love to see you here someday. All right, guys, have a great weekend, and I will see you on the next program. Adios, amigos. We hope you enjoyed the program. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and recommend the show to your friends. We greatly appreciate your likes and shares. Thank you for your support of the show and for helping us grow our audience. If you would like to train with Chris, please visit chrislewitt.com for more info. You can also join Chris's online school, clta.teachable.com, and follow his blog at prodigymaker.com. A reminder that all show archives can be found at youtube.com forward slash chrislewitt. And the show can be watched live on Facebook. Just search Chris Lewitt on Facebook to join the show. Thanks for listening and see you next time. And vamos.